Thank you, church, for worshiping today. Go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7. Uh, speaking of hymns, Brother Andy led us in Blessed Assurance, one of those all-time favorite hymns. There's a, another hymn that I want to talk to you about this morning. It's probably the most recognized uh, and beloved hymns of all time. It's that hymn called Amazing Grace. I want you to think about these words for just a moment. and They'll be on your screen. Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was blind, or once was lost, but now I'm fine, was blind, but now I see. Twas grace, think about that for just a moment. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear, the hour I first believed. I could think about this song as we sang Blessed Assurance, and then as we just sang that song that Brother Andy led us in about how our belief, right, the belief that we have in Jesus Christ, it's only possible because of God's grace. Think about that for just a moment. The only way you and I can truly believe and be saved is because God first loved us, and God so loved us that He gave us Jesus Christ. He gave us His one and only Son, that whosoever would what? Believe in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God's grace. I love preaching and teaching about God's grace, His amazing grace. And I believe in Mark chapter 7, we're going to see that grace, that amazing grace on full display. We're going to see it as Jesus ministers to those who are desperate for Him. Those who need Him and Him alone. You see, God's grace is what I would call uh, overwhelming. It's overwhelming. It's amazing. God's grace, overwhelming and amazing. I want you to think for just a moment, because if you look back at Mark chapter 7, the first 23 verses, verses 1 through 23, what we see is we see an encounter with Jesus and the Pharisees, the teachers of the law. And if you'll remember, I told you this last week, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they were guilty of legalism. They were guilty of legalism. As a matter of fact, Mark tells us that they were holding on to and they were living according to the tradition of elders. In other words, they depended on themselves and they depended on their own works to be right with God. They had a way of determining what was defiled and unclean and impure. You see... The Pharisees and the teachers of the law, what they show us, not just in the first 23 verses of Mark, but in all of the Gospels, what they show us is that they relied on their rituals and their traditions. That's what they did. They leaned on their rituals and their traditions in order to be right with God. And as we can see over and over again in the Scriptures, they were not right with God. They were not right with God because instead of trusting in Jesus, they trusted in legalism. And the only way we can be right with God is to repent of our sin and believe in Jesus. That's the only way we can be right with God. Another tradition that they held on to and they lived by was that, for, that salvation was only for the Jews. That's what they believed. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law believed that salvation was for the Jews. Now, Jesus shows us in Mark 24 through 37 where we're going to be today, Mark 7, 24 through 37, that he came to heal and save not just the Jews, but the Gentiles as well. 
And I'm going to tell you something, that's good news for you and me today. Because I would say, if not all of us, most of us in this room, we are Gentiles. And so again, God's overwhelming and amazing grace on display through Jesus, not just for the Jews, but for the Gentiles as well. So let's look at this together. Watch what happens. Mark chapter 7, beginning in verse 24. It says, Jesus left that place. Now let me tell you about that place. That place was Jewish land with a Jewish audience. It says Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. And look at how Jesus responded. Verse 27. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her. For it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And then he told her, for such a reply... You may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. Man, I love this passage of Scripture. That There are two words that I think about when I read this passage of Scripture. And those words are beyond borders. Beyond borders. Listen to me. We can see it both Physically and spiritually in this passage, Jesus went beyond the borders of Israel and into the Gentile lands. And what I mean by that was that Jesus went where most, if not all, Jews did not want to go. They did not want to go into the Gentile lands, the pagan lands. This was the land of Phoenicia. That's what Mark tells us. This would be our modern day Lebanon. If you're wondering where, where was that on our map? Go look at Lebanon, and that's where it would be. He was in Phoenicia. This was also a very important region during their time because the land of Phoenicia, our modern-day Lebanon, was strongly opposed to Israel. This was the land and the people that gave Israel grief over and over and over again. The people in this land were known for practicing what was called extreme paganism. In other words, they were completely anti-God. That they were against the God of Israel. Yet what do we see in this passage? Jesus went there. Jesus went to this land. And as he entered this land, he entered it privately, so to speak. He was just going to go into a house. But we know, as we've seen all throughout Mark, even when Jesus tries to go somewhere quietly, people talk, don't they? And, and, And people... They spread the news, and so everyone knew that Jesus was in this region. And so this woman comes, a Gentile woman, let me tell you. Uh, The Bible says she was a Syrophoenician woman. Matthew's account of this same uh, story, he calls her a Canaanite. And she comes to Jesus for help. So think about that for a moment. This Syrophoenician woman, this Gentile, this Canaanite, approaches this Jewish rabbi, this Jewish man for help. That didn't make sense. 
That didn't make sense for her. And it certainly didn't make sense for the Jews that were with Jesus. And let me tell you, his disciples, they were human beings. And I hope you don't think they were just all sitting there holy rollers, right? And praising and praying the whole time. I'm very sure, and we can see many times, the disciples don't get it all the time, do they? As a matter of fact, they have to pull Jesus aside and say, Hey, wait, wait, what did you say? What, what did you mean? If you remember, Jesus asked him last week, he said, Are you so dull? Like, can't you understand the words that I'm, that, that I'm speaking? Can't you see the life that I'm living? And, and so don't dehumanize the disciples, the, these Jewish men. So this woman comes to Jesus for help. Now, we don't know for sure what those disciples were thinking, but we do know um, that they were in a land that Jews did not want to be in, and now they were talking to a Gentile woman. So, so there's all kinds of strikes, <laughs> all kinds of strikes in this at bat, so to speak, um, for Jesus. But I'll tell you this, what we see in this passage of Scripture is, is that Jesus was not concerned about what anyone else thought about him and about what he was doing. His only concern was to do the will of the Father. And what we see in this passage of Scripture is that Jesus goes beyond borders to rescue the lost. That's what I see. And I'm going to tell you something. Jesus is still going beyond borders today. He's still going beyond borders to not only heal you, but to save you from your sin. Jesus, I love this because he, he has a conversation with this woman. Now, this is not just any normal conversation. As a matter of fact, some theologians look at this and they say, you know, this, was a, this could be viewed as a harsh conversation. And, and it could. It very well could be viewed as a harsh com- a conversation. But that's not what it is. Let me tell you what it is. Jesus was testing this woman's faith. That's what he was doing. Listen, this woman had faith enough to barge into this house and, and seek an audience with this Jewish rabbi. So, so she definitely had some kind of faith. Well, Jesus is now testing this woman's faith. When we hear these words that Jesus speaks to this desperate woman, it, it might come across as shocking, but I want to tell you this. If you look at the context, if you look at the conversation that Jesus just had with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, if you look at the conversation he had with the crowd and with his own disciples, and now this conversation with the woman, Jesus was neither disrespectful, he he was not being disrespectful, nor was he being deceitful. Jesus was testing this woman's faith. He shows us over and over again that he goes beyond What is merely seen on the outside, Jesus sees what's on the inside. And and what I believe Jesus is doing with this woman is he's fishing. He's fishing, right? He's fishing for her faith. I love what Paul says. Paul says this in Romans chapter 1. You don't have to turn there. Just listen to what Paul says. Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, righteousness that is by faith from the first to the last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So let me tell you what Jesus was doing in this conversation with this woman. 
Jesus was inviting her into a deep conversation and a deep gospel truth. Because according to the law and according to uh, the rituals and, and the things that the Jews held on to and lived by, right? They had long considered the G- Gentiles to, in fact, be dogs. Think about that for just a moment. The Jews, when they looked out and saw the Gentiles, when they saw Phoenicia, and they saw uh, even, even this Phoenician woman, if she had traveled into Jewish territory, when they looked at her, they would have seen nothing but a dog. And, and I'm going to be honest with you. Their term, the Greek term for dog according to the Jews, was an unclean, filthy animal. However, the term that Jesus uses in this passage of Scripture for dog, it is actually the Greek word that means puppy. It means a house pet. That's what it means. Now, you may say, well, isn't that still being very disrespectful? No, it's not. You know what Jesus was doing? He wasn't just talking to the woman. He was talking to anybody in that room that would hear him, including his Jewish disciples. So he was using a conversation and terminology that would be easily understood by everybody in the room. Those religious leaders that Jesus had previously spoken with in verses 1 through 23 would have considered this woman unclean. They would have looked at her and immediately judged her as unclean, impure. Maybe the term they would have used is this dog. Why are you talking to this dog? What does Jesus show us? I'll tell you what Jesus shows us. He goes beyond borders. To reach anyone and everyone who will believe. Jesus was testing this woman's faith. You see, Jesus will save both the Jew and the Gentile who believes. So let's talk about this woman for just a moment. Because this woman is on full display just like Jesus is on full display. I believe this woman proved to be desperate, humble, and persistent with her faith. Three very important words. Desperate, humble, and persistent. Listen to me. She was desperate for Jesus because Jesus was her only hope. There was nothing else she could do. There was no one else she could turn to. It was only Jesus. She was desperate for Jesus. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been to that place before? Where you were desperate for Jesus? When no one else could say anything or do anything for you, there was Jesus. Have you ever been that desperate? I'm going to tell you something. You're lying to yourself if you haven't been. You're lying. Because there is nothing and no one who can do for you what Jesus can. She was desperate in her faith for Jesus. Not only that, she was humble before Jesus because she believed in His power and in His authority. She believed in the power of Jesus Christ, in the authority of Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you what else. She was persistent, right? Persistent before Jesus because she believed he cared for her. Why else would she have fallen at his feet if she did not believe that Jesus had a word for her, had a touch for her? She believed that Jesus cared. And I'm going to tell you, another reason why I say she was persistent was because she didn't care what anybody else thought about her. 
She didn't care what this church member or that church member or this disciple or that leader thought about her being with Jesus. She only thought about Jesus and what he was and what he could do for her. We see this in her response. Let me tell you something. She could have been offended by what Jesus said to her. Did you know that? She could have been offended by what Jesus said to her. Well, let's let the children eat their bread first. Do you know who the children were that Jesus was referring to? It was Israel. It was Israel. See, see Jesus was, was saying what was truth. He did come to and through Israel first. But that's not it. Thank God there's not a period there. <laughs> right? He came to and through Israel, but he came for all mankind, Jew and Gentile. Paul made that very clear in Romans chapter 1. And so she didn't care about what anybody else's idea of her was. She wanted to be with Jesus. She was not offended by what Jesus said to her. As a matter of fact, I told you she was humble in her faith, right? She was desperate, she was humble, and she was persistent. Part of that humility was that she knew she didn't deserve this audience with Jesus. She knew that. She knew there was nothing she earned or did to deserve an audience with Jesus. As a matter of fact, she knew that she, according to Jewish custom, she knew she was a dog. But she said, Lord, even the dogs can eat the crumbles. In other words, I'll take whatever you can do and whatever you give me, even if it is a leftover. Oh, my goodness. This woman was humble in her faith. She was desperate and she was persistent. She not only understood the truth that Jesus spoke to her, she embraced it. Let me tell you this. Matthew's account in chapter 15, I want to read this one verse to you. I want to, I want to describe her faith to you from Jesus' mouth, not mine. Matthew 15, 28, Then Jesus said to her, Woman, you have great faith. That's what Jesus said to this woman. You have great faith. Your request is granted. And Matthew's version said her daughter was healed at that very moment. I wonder today when I read this passage of Scripture, I wasn't thinking about anybody else. I was thinking about me. I wonder today if Jesus responded to my demonstration of faith. Would he say, Jeff, you have great faith. Ask yourself that question right now. If Jesus was in conversation with you right now, and he said truth to you like he said to this woman, how would you respond? And after your response, would he say, you have great faith? That's what he said about this woman. Woman, you have great faith. See, Jesus, in my opinion, and in the truth of the gospel, he cares for all people. There may be someone here today, there may be someone listening to my voice today, someone watching today. Um, maybe you're in a place where you feel like no one cares for you. No one cares about you. No one cares if you're here or there. No one cares if you're up or you're down. No one cares. I'm just going to tell you something. There's always one who cares, and his name is Jesus. Jesus cares about you. Jesus cares for you. 
And Jesus will go beyond borders to meet you where you are and to rescue you. Jesus cares for all people. As if this one circumstance wasn't enough, Mark shows us another circumstance, again in Gentile territory. Look at verse 31. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon. So, if you, if you looked at it on a map, what Jesus has done is he's gone out of Israel and he's gone to Tyre, and then he went almost in a horseshoe pattern around Israel to Sidon. So, so Jesus is traveling through Gentile territory. He's actually staying out of Israel territory, and he's in Gentile territory, and that's what's happened here. He's gone from Tyre to Sidon, down to the Sea of Galilee, and into the region of the Decapolis. There, some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk. And they begged Jesus. Notice that. Just like the woman begged Jesus. They begged Jesus to place his hand on him. After he took him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said to him, Ephtatha, which means be opened. At this the man's ears were opened. His tongue was loosened and he began to speak plainly. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone, but the more he did so, the more people kept talking about it. Look at this verse, 37. People were overwhelmed with amazement. How did I describe God's grace? Overwhelming and amazing. People were overwhelmed with amazement. Look at what they said. He has done everything well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Let me tell you something. Jesus does what no one else can do. Jesus does what no one else can do. Let me tell you about this man. Again, from the perspective of the Jews, the Jews would have seen this man as unclean and demonized because of his disabilities. They believed, the Jews, according to ritual and circumstance, they believed that if you were in this condition, it was sin and you would be considered unclean, even demonized. This was a common belief among the Jews, especially when it was a Gentile. I love what Pastor R. Kent Hughes says in his commentary. Listen to what he says. He said, this man could have felt the humiliation of being thought stupid because he could not understand others or speak to them. His situation, to say the least, seemed miserable and hopeless. Have you ever been there? You ever been to a place where you, you thought others looked at you as stupid? Not able to understand? Have you ever been to a place where you couldn't speak to others because of the humiliation you felt? The shame you felt that was put on you by others? You ever been there? Have you ever been to that place where you were miserable and hopeless? This man was. 
Pastor Arkent Hughes goes on to say, this man, however, did have some friends who loved him and cared enough to get him to Jesus. See, this man, and I love this because this is an encouragement to everybody. This man had people. He had people in his life who cared enough to get him help, and he had a Savior who cared enough to give him help. Let me say that again. He had people around him who cared enough to get him help, and he had a Savior who cared enough to give him help. See, today you may be in this room and you may be like this man. You may feel humiliation and shame. Let me tell you something. You need Jesus. You may be in this room and you may know someone who right now is being humiliated and being shamed and drowning in sorrow and drowning in guilt. And you as a friend, you need to get them to Jesus because you know Jesus cares enough to give them help. And so I'm going to tell you, this is a message for whoever is in this house today. One way or the other, Jesus cares. His friends sound a lot like that woman who begged for her daughter. She begged for her, for her daughter. Jesus, help my daughter. These friends, Jesus, help. Help our friend. And I like this because they asked Jesus to place his hand on him. Did you see that? They were very specific. <laughs> very specific. Jesus, put your hand on him. Place your hand on him. And I love this because uh, Jesus... He heals this man with, I, with what I like to call a personal touch. A personal touch with compassion. If you notice in the passage, it says Jesus takes him aside. Do you see that? Now Jesus could have thought it. He could have spoke it. And he could have done it right there with everybody's eyes all over him. But what Jesus did was he took this man aside. Because guess whose attention he wanted? Are you going to answer yeah, he wanted the man's attention. Yeah. Whose attention did he want? He wanted the man's attention. That's what he wanted. See, Jesus takes the man aside and there are no distractions. Jesus could have spoken. He could have thought it. He could have done that. I love Pastor Daniel Aiken. He says this is what Jesus does. Jesus gives this man attention by entering this man's world with no one else. Jesus uses sign language. That's what Pastor Daniel Aiken says. See, Jesus, by putting his finger into the man's ear, is telling the man that you are going to hear. That's what he's telling him. You will have the ability to hear. Then, when Jesus spits or uses saliva out of his mouth and puts it on the man's tongue, it's sign language. He's telling the man, not only are you going to be able to hear, but you're going to be able to speak. I love this. There's more sign language because Jesus looked up to heaven. What was he telling the man through sign language? It's the power of God that makes this possible. It's the power of God. He looked up to heaven. The man would have known what Jesus was doing. He was praying. And he was pointing this man to the one who had the authority and the power to heal him. And then I love this. Oh, I'm so thankful Mark put this in here. It says that Jesus sighed deeply. 
He sighed deeply. In other words, it wasn't just a sound. It was a motion in his body, in his expression, and the man could see it. Right? What was he telling the man through his deep sigh? I'll tell you what he was telling him. I care for you. I care for you. I deeply care for you. From a Jewish perspective, again, and I have to say that because there were Jews there watching. From a Jewish perspective, do you know what they would have thought when Jesus put his hand on this man? See, this man, according to Jewish custom and ritual, this man was unclean and impure. Do you know what happens when you touch something that is unclean and impure? You become unclean and impure. Did that stop Jesus? Nope. It did not stop Jesus. Jesus wanted this man to know that he cared. He wanted this man to know that he was now clean because God in flesh had just touched him. Mr. Wayne, you sing a song sometimes. He touched me. Oh, he touched me. Right? I love that song. I thank God for the touch of Jesus Christ in my life. I thank God that he has touched my heart and touched my mind. Let me tell you about the people that day. The people that day, the Bible tells us, they were shocked. (laughs) They they were shocked by what they saw. They were shocked by the miracle that Jesus just performed. Mark says they were overwhelmed with amazement. And, And then it says that they shared it with others. Listen, Jesus actually commanded the people, hey, don't tell anybody. But Mark says they kept talking about it. So not only did they disobey Jesus once, they kept on disobeying Jesus. It says they kept telling everybody. Now, now I don't know about you, okay? And I don't condone their disobedience, but I can certainly understand their reaction. Because I'm going to tell you, when I see Jesus work a miracle in my life, I can't help but tell somebody. When I see Jesus work a miracle in your life, I can't help but tell somebody. I can't help it. Why would Jesus say that? Why would Jesus say, hey, don't go tell anybody? Because remember, back when he preached several times, people were ready to hoist Jesus up, right? As the king. Take control, king. Kick Rome out, king. They wanted to make him their king for their agenda. And Jesus knew that. Jesus was not ready for that. That's not what Jesus came to do in that moment. What Jesus came to do was to save the lost. That's what he came to do. See, what I believe, when you read Mark chapter 7, verses 24 through 37, is you see that amazing grace that we sing about on full display. It's amazing grace, not just for the Jew, but for the Gentile. And to that I say amen. And I say thank you, God. What I see in, in, in this part of Mark chapter 7, this, this, this second half of Mark chapter 7, is I see Jesus going beyond borders. And I'm going to tell you something. Whether you believe it or not, it's truth. Jesus still goes beyond borders today to rescue the lost. Jesus still goes beyond borders today to rescue the lost. You, you know what you might say? You might say, uh, 
I'm too far gone. I have people tell me that all the time, Brother Jeff, you have no idea what I've done. And I don't mean disrespect or dishonor, but I always say, I don't care. If you're coming to Jesus, He cares for you. And it don't matter how far you think you are and how much you think you've done, because Jesus is your answer. I just want to get them to Jesus and, and let Jesus reassure them, right, with His touch, with His person, personal and compassionate touch that He cares for them. See, here's what I believe. No one is too far. No one is too unclean that the grace of God through Jesus Christ can't reach. No one is too far. No one is too unclean. And I'm going to say that to you who think you're too far and to you who think you're unclean. But I'm also going to say that to me and to you when we look at someone else in judgment and think that they're too far gone or too unclean. Jesus can save anyone at any time in any way. So whether you're on this side or that side, Jesus is the answer. How dare me look at anyone and call them unclean? How dare me look at anyone and call them impure whom God has created? Who Jesus came to save. And how dare me forever believe in the, the enemy, the devil, in thinking that I'm too far gone, or that I'm too unclean, or that I don't deserve an audience with Jesus. The truth is, I don't deserve an audience with Jesus, but Jesus wants me anyway. And that's the truth of the gospel. So don't believe the enemy. Don't believe the enemy, one way or the other, that it's too far, that it's too late, or that they're too unclean. Because God's grace is amazing. Amen? Jesus can and Jesus will save when we repent and believe.